overall question is, uh, how do we pray for healing? Because specifically, that's what was happening here was was a healing was was needed and in in ways it was requested, and this is what was this is what was got. So we have a couple of questions at the end too that we'll discuss and. Uh, if you want to answer some questions or uh, jump in with that. But let's look at this uh, story again and try to answer this question based on this story. How do we answer, how do we pray for our healing? Let me read it again here, verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to him. Really, we're just looking at the, the first, uh, the middle two verses, verses 2 and 3, the interaction that Jesus and this, and this leper have. So uh, we have a need, and, and really we could probably replace this with uh, anything more than healing, just any kind of a prayer request. As I mentioned, here's the prayer, actually here's a prayer list from it's July 11th. There are 38 things on here, and 31 of them have to do with health. Uh, and so, you know, when we we can, we're going to focus on the idea with health, but uh, this can go many different ways. When we see needs, uh, what do we do? Well, first of all, it's it's okay, and we need to make sure we understand that it is okay to pray for healing. It's it's not wrong to pray for healing, but we need to recognize, as the man in the story did, that God. Uh, God is both able to, to heal, but we need to then leave leave the willingness up to God. In the, in the area of salvation, we can be sure because we have Scripture that tells us that those who come to Him and, and, and request this type of a healing uh, from spiritual sin, uh, then they will be healed. But, for instance, so-and-so has a, a physical health issue. We know God is still avail- uh, able to heal, but we don't have a Scripture to say, oh yeah, God will do that. And so, there's Christians, and there's there's people that, that also they go around and they're kind of like a claiming it, uh, name it and claim it type of a thing. So if I find a verse in the Bible, I'm going to claim it. And really, what their their idea is to kind of hold God over a barrel, if you will. You have to do this for me because I just claimed this verse because uh, because I told you to. And it really prayer becomes more of a a, a, a hostage negotiation, if you will. We're we're demanding, we're giving God our list of demands and expecting Him to do as we wish. Um, before we get into this list right here, I kind of put in the bulletin, I wanted to just kind of throw a couple of uh, uh, stories at you and remind you of some of the times when suffering or when physical uh, healing did not come. See, first of all, we see in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul uh, was uh, given a thorn in the flesh. And some people would say that that had something to do with the... Uh, blindness or, or, or impairment in his vision. And, and Paul said three times, I prayed for God to heal it. And God said, no, three times. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. So we see that God could heal him because Paul believed it. He would have he, he prayed for that. But we find that God was willing not to heal him. He was not willing to heal him because God had a different plan in mind. Uh, we see Jesus suffering on the cross. I mean, he's the greatest example of this. God is not willing at every time to remove his people from the suffering. And Jesus even said, you know, I called 12 legions of angels at, at one time uh, to, to, to 
to deliver me. And even on the cross, Jesus said, uh, or someone said, you know, you know, if you're God, then save us and, and save yourself. And he could have, but it wasn't the Father's will. It was not the Father's the Father's plan. Uh, let's go back to the, the book of Genesis with Joseph. Joseph suffering in Egypt. Genesis 50, when, when uh, Joseph wrote to, told to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So yet another example of, yeah, God could have, I mean, how horrible of a story is that? And this is kind of when we see a non-health issue. Uh, Joseph is sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers. Tried, they tried to, you know, they wanted to kill him, but instead they sold him to slavery. Then he goes to Potiphar's house, and he kind of begins to, to bloom there, and then he gets crushed even worse, and now he's in the deepest, darkest dungeon. And he's in there, and he's beginning to bloom there. And then he interprets the dreams of the but of the, the baker and the butler, the baker and the candlestick maker. And then uh, he uh, get you know, oh, this is my break. I'm going to get out. God's going to deliver me. Nope. And they forget about him. And not until he interprets the Pharaoh's dream does he get out. And then he really makes a uh, he's he's put in a very unique position, not for himself, but to to be able to save his family and the entire nation of Israel. So we see that that was God's plan. Why God allowed? That's how God got him to Israel, or God got him. God got him to Egypt. And and sometimes we read those stories and think, well, God couldn't you have done it another way? I mean, maybe a little less painful of a way, a less embarrassing way. Yeah, He could have. But God had designed it to go that way. And the specific uh, uh, Joseph understood it. Genesis fifty twenty. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Meaning that this stuff didn't just happen. God directed these things in his life. God made it happen. Uh, we see the, the whole book of Job is about Job's suffering. Uh, and God letting things happen, uh, though we can say, well, Satan was doing these things, but God gave him the permission. God was the one who allowed these things to happen to Job so that uh, he could be he could prove to, to, to Satan that uh, Job is not in this for what he gets out of it. And then the last one here, I think of Lazarus' death. Think about Lazarus. They send word to Jesus, Lazarus, your friend is sick. He's dying. You need to get here. So what does Jesus do? He waits. And then when he finally gets there, he's been dead for a couple of days. Why? And, he, and, and we know that Jesus was going to resurrect him, but nobody else knew that during that time. Lazarus didn't know that. And I believe Lazarus was, was really counting on Jesus to get there in time. And he didn't. And Mary and Martha's sisters were the same, the same way. You know, you'd have been here. He wouldn't have died. And it was... And it was a you know you could have done something about it, but now it's too late. And so we, I just want you to see here that we that God is always able to do these things because for every story that we find of God healing somebody, we see several stories where God doesn't. God lets people go through difficult times, even when once the biblical canon was closed, and we see the 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 way that the church has suffered persecution and and suffering in many different ways. God could deliver them from this. God could have made Christianity to be this health and wealth and prosperity and the Christians are going to be the richest and happiest and the holiest people of all. But that's not how it's been. That's not how it's played out. And it, so we, we have to recognize first that God is always able, but not God is not always willing. So when we come, be it on a Wednesday night, when we go on a prayer meeting, we're going to pray for these people, or maybe when uh, you have an interaction with someone, maybe you have a family member or a friend, or maybe you're, you yourself go through some type of a need, how do we pray for this particular need? So I've written down here five things, and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, get into these questions here. So uh, number one is recognizing that God can fix it. 
by faith, we recognize God is able. We listed several verses this morning about God's ability. God can do all things. And I was talking with someone recently about uh, the, the verse that, uh, I think it's in Psalms, when they said, can God table, furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes, God can. But the only way you'll know is when you go out into the wilderness. And so sometimes we don't find out what God can do until we get put in a position where we need God to do something. So we need to recognize that God can fix our problems. And that's what the man here says, you know, if you will, you can make me clean. Uh, but number two, uh, this is kind of, uh, could almost be like a sub-point of that, is that realize that God could have prevented it. God could have stopped it from happening. God is not a reactionary God. He doesn't say, oh, that happened. I can fix that. I can fix that. I can fix that. God could make things just not even happen to us. God could prevent every bad thing from happening to us. He could prevent illness. He could prevent cancer from coming to any child of God. He could prevent loss of jobs. He could prevent anything. I mean, the, the tragedies that we read about in the newspaper here on the news, God could stop any of these things from happening, but they'd still happen. And so it's not that they're overpowering God. It's not that the Christians are not praying enough. It's not that that, uh, that God has to wait until it happens. There's, 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 there's a belief that God is is this God who can do anything, but he can't see into the future. And so he waits for the things to happen in time, and then he can react to that. And that's not, that's not the Bible. So um, recognize that God can fix what's going on with you. Number two, recognize that God could have prevented it. So let's say you have cancer. You know, you're given that, that cancer diagnosis. God can heal your cancer. But it's just as easily God could have just prevented you from not having cancer. So from, from that, we need to realize that nothing is ever accidental with God. Nothing happens and God goes, oops, oh, I didn't mean for that to happen. Don't worry, I'll fix it. <laughs> nothing that comes into your life is accidental or incidental. Uh, and, and that means that nothing takes God by surprise. And it takes us by surprise. You know, we, we, normally when we go into the doctor and we get those bad, those bad results, we weren't going expecting them. We were going to find out, hey, you need to eat a little less, you need to exercise a little more, you know. But, you know, other than that, have a good day. But when they come with that report, hey, this is serious. Hey, we need you to come back in. We need you to see the doctor. We need to run another test or whatever. Those things take us by surprise. And what started off as maybe a good day or a normal day ends up being the worst day. Uh, but we have to remember God saw that. God knew that was happening and he didn't stop it. Number three, you need to recognize God might not fix it. God might not take it away. Just like he didn't take Paul's thorn in the flesh away. He didn't take Joseph's suffering away. He didn't heal Lazarus. He didn't. Uh, uh, he didn't take Jesus off the cross. Why? Well, why didn't he heal Lazarus? Because you can't resurrect someone until they die. What did Jesus want to do? He wanted to resurrect him. He got to die first. Uh, he he can't he can't make Joseph second in command. Oh, he can. He chose not to make Joseph second in command from Israel. He had to get into Egypt. And how is he going to get into Egypt as a slave? And you know, working his way, and we can see that from reading the stories. We can say, "Oh yeah, we see how God is is weaving these things into people's lives." But it's really hard because there's no book written about our life yet. Hopefully, never. I don't want you guys reading about what happened to me, like we read about David or, or people like that. But we 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 don't have that, and so it's difficult for us to look back and say, "Oh, I can see how God is weaving these things in my life." Sometimes we can look back to things that have happened to us, and we can see how God directed our steps. God made certain things happen at just the right time. But when you're in the moment, that's hard. That's hard to, 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 to see those and recognize those things. So recognize that God is always able, but He's not always willing. 
Because God might have some greater purpose than what we can see. And remember, we are not the Lord. We are not the Master. We are the servants. And so uh, God might not fix it. We need to recognize that there's a difference between God's ability and God's willingness. So when we pray for healing, we need to pray with all the, 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 the confidence and surety that God can do anything. But then when it comes to what God is going to do, we need to be careful. Of when I say, well, you know, I believe it, and so God's going to do it. Maybe He will. I really hope He does. You know, when, when I have things, I pray, God, heal this. But, but if not, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. But if not, there's always that, because I don't know God's mind. I'm not God. God doesn't tell me, hey, Tim, this is what I'm thinking, by the way. Before I send you through this difficult thing, I just want to tell you, it's going to work out in the end, and it's going to be like this, and just at the last moment, I'm going to pull you out of it. I don't know these things. And sometimes God doesn't pull us out of it. He delivers us by bringing us through the fire. He delivered the martyrs by keeping them faithful all the way through it. He delivered the Hebrew boys out of the fire, which means they had to go into the fire. And think about those Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking into the fire thinking, this is it. I thought we were going to be delivered. I thought God was going to rescue us. And they walked in and how long, I don't know how long it took them to realize, you know, man, really thought God was going to rescue us. And they're standing, it's been five minutes, you know. Hey, how long does it take to burn? You know, how long does it take to die in a burning fire furnace? Maybe God is going to do something. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it, though. And then, and then they finally realize, hey, you know. And, and, and even if you read the story, it says that the king saw a fourth man. But it doesn't necessarily say that those guys saw the fourth man. And, uh, you know, Jesus is in there with them, and, and maybe they didn't even realize it. But so, so God might be willing, but He might not be willing. That's why Jesus prayed several times, not my will, but thine be done. If it's possible, let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but God's will, but the Father's will. And, and again, that's, the, that's the, the, the idea of Joseph's statement there. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I, I mentioned a, a quote from a man, uh, Grant Osborne. I have another one here from me. I mentioned it this morning. I have another one here. It says, The centrality of prayer is surrender to the will of God and not just an unending series of self-centered demands. That's what we're doing when we're praying. We're not demanding God. Here's my list of demands, God. Here's my, here's my prayer list. And here's what I expect you to do. Here's, get this done by today. Or at least by the time I'm done saying amen. No, this is, God, in this situation, I yield to your will. And in this situation, I yield to your will. And in this situation, I would love to see some great things happen here, but of all, I yield to your will. And I pray that these people will yield to your will. And that they would learn to accept whatever you do. And that they would have faith that you can heal them. That they would never lose faith that you can heal them, but that they would yield to your perfect because we don't believe that God makes mistakes, right? So if God does not heal, it's not like God went, I was just really busy. I really wanted to heal you. I just got a little too busy. Or I didn't know how to, I'd never dealt with that one before. Whoops. You know, if I make a mistake with my kids, it's like, well, you know, I've never been a parent of a kid that age before. God doesn't say like, well, I, I had never seen that one before. God is always is, is uh, perfect in what he does. Perfect in all of your ways, as we sing the song. All right, uh, then number five, always remember that God is good. 
Remember that God is always good. No matter what happens, good, bad uh, situation in your life does not mean that God is good or bad. We generally say God is good after a good thing has happened to us. We say God is blessing me when we get a raise. But it's hard to say God is good when they say you're fired. Or when they say you have cancer. Or when they say... Uh, when 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 your when your your best friend or your child or a family member disappoints you in some way breaks your heart, it's harder to say it then, but it doesn't make it any less true. God is always good. I'm not I'm not really one to like the cliches, you know. For a time, it got really popular, and people would say, uh, "God is good all the time," and then they say, "All the time, God is good." Yeah, it is true. I don't like to say it all the time. It kind of comes becomes a little bit cliche after a while. But it's true. God is good all the time. And there's never a time when God is not good. That He is good. So that means that we need to learn to not rely on miracles. I, was, I, I kind of removed this from the, 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 the guts of the sermon this morning. But we read about miracles so often in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament that we kind of begin to feel like they happened every day. But they didn't. Miracles, by definition, are not to be expected. And miracles, by definition, are not an everyday thing. And so what we're, what we're reading about is really probably the most miraculous uh, moment ever in history. For the, you know, a three-year period, there were so many incredible things going on in the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, in the, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John there. But that doesn't mean that miracles are, we're going to expect a miracle to happen today. So, you know, you get that news of, you know, some horrible health issue or, or some big prayer request. We ought not come expecting a miracle. I've, I've heard preachers and teachers talk about, well, you know what, you need to pray that expecting God to, to do something. What if God doesn't want to do what you expect him to do? What's going to happen then is that I'm going to get disappointed with God and I'm going to get mad and angry. I'm going to quit and say, you know what, if that's how you're going to, treat my prayer requests and I'm done with that I'll find a God who does what I want him to do and so it's important that we learn not to expect the miracles but rely on God's goodness I wanted to show you something go to Matthew if you're still open to Matthew Matthew 11 now in in the very next passage when we get as you're turning there Matthew 8 5 says that Jesus entered Capernaum and that's where his next miracle is going to take place with the centurion and he heals the servant and he's not even there but I want you to notice about this thing about miracles in Matthew 11 and verse number 21. So Capernaum was a place that saw a lot of miracles. And in Matthew 11, this is what the woes that Jesus uh, gives on these different uh, cities, unrepentant cities. But notice it says here in, um, I'm going to back it up to uh, verse number uh, 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So overall, that's the summary of what's about to happen. A lot of mighty works were done, but they didn't repent. And notice, woe to you Chorazin, woe to you Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it would be more ter- tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. What I want you to notice here is that Capernaum saw a lot of miracles, particularly what we read about in, in Matthew 8. We're going to read a lot of uh, some of the things there. Uh, they, in, in a lot of these cities around, they, they witnessed the miracles 
that Jesus performed, and yet many of them did not repent. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that often we think, okay, God, if, much like the, um, remember Jesus said that the, the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man went to hell, and Lazarus went to heaven, and, and then the rich man was somehow able to talk to Abraham, and he says, hey, send, uh, send someone to go back to my brothers so that they don't come to this place. And his thinking was, you need some miraculous thing to happen in your life so that you will see the light and not come to hell. You will turn to Christ. And that's kind of how we view miracles, right? That's supposed to like, it's a huge thing. And you know, the doctors had given up and everybody had said, no, it can't be done. And then God comes through and we all rejoice. And then we expect for the doctor to go, you know what? I want to be a Christian now because that's never happened with any of my Buddhist patients. It's never happened with any of my Muslim patients. I want, I want to see, I want to see this God that did this crazy thing for you in your life. And that's amazing if that happens. But when we begin to rely on those types of things, we're often let down because, again, miracles don't happen as often as we want them to, and they're not as effective as sometimes we hope that they will be. And I mean, this is a perfect example. Think about the many, many people that witnessed the miracles of Jesus and did not believe. Think about Judas Iscariot. How close can you be to Christ and see it and not really get it and totally miss the boat? Uh, and, and it, so the miracles don't mean, they don't guarantee uh, the repentance that we're, that we hope for sometimes. Uh, one of my favorite, but, but so when we rely on this goodness of God rather than the miracles. And I think about one of my, my favorite uh, portions in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia uh, when, uh, when Mr. Beaver, and he's talking about Aslan the lion, and he says, he says, uh, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's a king. And, that, and that's, how I, that's how it is with God. Uh, he is good. He's always good. And he might be dangerous, and he might be hard to understand, and he might be... Uh, he's the consuming fire God, and He's the one that we are, we fear, and we 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 are awe and awe. But at the same time, He's good. And sometimes it's hard for us to get both of that at the same time. We we either go to one extreme or the other, and God's this loving heavenly Father with a long big beard, and He could never do anything bad. And or we read about the God of the Old Testament that's just sending bolts of lightning and fire down and consuming people for. Uh, scratching their ear with the wrong with the wrong hand or something, and so we go back and forth, and we 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 have to get the the middle. God is both good and fearful. the The old word is terrible. He's terrible, meaning he's 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 full of terror, and yet at the same time he is compassionate and loving. And that's what we see in the form of Jesus Christ. I want to read something to you from uh, uh, one of the books I was I was using this week to read. You might you might have heard of a man named James Boyce, and he's he did he did a lot of writing. Uh, he's a scholar, but he was also a pastor in uh, uh, Philadelphia. And back in the spring of 2000, he was diagnosed with cancer. And so this is what he shared with his congregation about how they should pray for him as their pastor with cancer. So I thought this was helpful. I would just read it to you. It says, "Should you pray for a miracle? Well, you're free to do that, of course." My general impression is that the God who is able to do miracles, and He certainly can, is also able to keep you from getting the problem in the first place. So although miracles do happen, they're rare by definition. A miracle has to be an unusual thing. Above all, I would say, pray for the glory of God. 
If you think of God glorifying himself in history and you say, where in all of history has God most glorified himself? He did it at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't by delivering Jesus from the cross, though he could have. Jesus said, don't you think I could have I could call down from my father ten legions of angels for my defense? But he didn't do that. And yet that's where God is most glorified. God is in charge. When things like this come into our lives, they are not accidental. It's not as if God somehow forgot what was going on and something bad slipped by. God is not only not only the one who is in charge, God is also good. Everything he does is good. And this is how this is how he instructed his church to pray for him. Now the story goes on, eight weeks later he died. And you know, we would say, oh, pray him for so and so they have cancer, pray him for so and so they have these this horrible disease. They have something bad that happened to them. And it's definitely not wrong for us to go to God and say, God, please fix this. Make this right. But we always need to do it with the, with the realization God knew this was happening. And God allowed this to happen. At the very least, He allowed it. He might have made this happen. He must have a will. He must have a reason for it. So then I need to just trust Him. I need to rely on His goodness. And that's why the prayer of the leper in Matthew 8 is so rich. Because not only does he recognize God's ability, he recognizes God's sovereignty. God, you can do you want to. Really, that's how, uh, that's how we ought to come to God when we come with our needs. Let's, let's take just a few moments and uh, look at these questions.